previously on At the Movies with Arch Campbell and Lou Katz. I watched it at home, and every time my wife walked into the room, I was a little embarrassed. <laughs> at the Movies with Arch Campbell <laughs> and yours truly, Lou Katz. Oh, Lou! Lou and, is and, here. And today it's a threesome. Oh, oh interesting. <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't have gotten my heads up on that. <laughs> Our special guest. What? Jen Cheney, and it all begins oh, right wonderful. now. Yay. Jen Cheney, we've been wanting to have you in studio for months now, and so this is a red-letter day to us. It's a beautiful oh, studio. Oh, well, thank you very much. We so. officially welcome the next best thing now, Jen, to a lump of coal at Christmas. <laughs> Arch Campbell. Thank you. Thank yes, yes, please. And I wrote that introduction myself. And so here we are. It's our regular entertainment podcast. And Lou and I are extremely happy to welcome Jen Cheney to the show. And as you know, she writes for Vulture.com and appears on WTOP Radio. And I have enjoyed your take on movies and cable for years. Oh, thank you. So, And uh, thanks to you, I've been watching Watchmen. Mm. And I'm <laughs> thoroughly confused. <laughs> But in a nice way. How so, far along well, are you? I just watched the Nostalgia episode. Oh, what a great yeah. episode of television. Wow, that, that was my kind of show. So so thank you for your tips, and we'll get some more today. Opening this week is Richard Jewell, Clint Eastwood's uh, story of the security guard who appeared to be the hero of the 1996 Olympics when he found a backpack with a bomb and then became the suspect. And I have some mixed feelings about this. What What's your take? My feelings about it are mixed also. Mm-hmm. I thought the performances in it were very strong. I particularly liked uh, Sam Rockwell, who plays the attorney who, yeah. who comes to Richard Jewell's aid. But I think it's plagued by an issue that has um, afflicted several of Clint Eastwood's movies, uh, especially in, in recent years, where everything is very black and white. There is not mm-hmm. a great deal of nuance. Mm-hmm. And he paints a pretty dark picture of the FBI and the government, and as has been talked about already quite a bit in the media, the journalist, played by Olivia Wilde, who is writing stories about this case for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the way they portray that woman is horrible. And she has passed, she passed away. She led a troubled life and passed away several years ago and cannot defend herself from, uh, basically, they, uh, they say she traded sex with an FBI agent to get the tip and write a front-page story about Richard Jewell as the suspect, not the hero. Right. I mean, that scene where that sort of uh, negotiation takes place mm-hmm. um, with the FBI agent who's played by John Hamm is the most egregious part of it. Yeah. But I think even just throughout the whole movie, she she's portrayed as an aggressive reporter, but also kind of flaky and somebody who, who does, like, flirt when she needs to. And, and I just, that trope has been used so, so much and especially right now when I think journalists are getting beat up on him. For that matter, so is the FBI. Reminded me of Barbara Stanwyck in the 30s, you know, or, uh-huh. or some of those uh, Frank Capra films. And and it is an outdated image. You are correct. Well, even worse, like if you think about, I don't know if you ever watched House of Cards. But oh, yeah, where, right. Like, Zoe yeah. was sleeping yeah. with Frank Underwood. I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm tired of it. And, it, and it's... It didn't need to be done that way. And I think the best way to say it is that Clint Eastwood undercut himself because he was so heavy-handed. Somebody needs to tell him that newspapers are going out of business anyway. I mean, if that's his argument, he has won it. And it is a shame because the kid who plays Richard Jewell, and I've got his name right here, Paul Walter Hauser, 
is very sympathetic, and we're rooting for him during the entire movie, and I loved seeing the rest of the story and how it came out. So it's too bad that there's this uh, mismatch of uh, tones. I agree. Uh, and I thought the the actor who played Richard Joel, who you just mentioned, was very yeah. good also. There was yeah. an, an element of almost comedy in the initial uh, parts of the movie because he was often being made fun of and there was right. something sort yeah. of a little bit bumbling and awkward about him. But uh, I, I think that was an example of actually finding some nuance that needed to be present in other aspects of the movie. So uh, so I would say uh, I'm mixed on it. And are you negative on it? I would say I'm mixed to a little more negative than you are that the performances were the best part for me. Now I want to go back over some films I've seen recently that I liked and didn't like. And one that I particularly struck me was The Two Popes. Did you see The Two Popes? I did, yes. Hopkins and uh, Jonathan Price. I was just blown away by it. I just thought it was delightful. I mean, it's not a movie if you're trying to see something that really takes a serious look at all the issues with the Catholic Church. It is not that. Mm-hmm. But as a conversation between these two very different men and eventually coming to a way to understand each other and see where where their personalities overlap. It's really great and, and just really well acted. One is the hardliner Pope Benedict, and the other is the more modest, modest cardinal who becomes Pope Francis. And they put them in beautiful settings, including the Sistine Chapel. Did they shoot in the Sistine Chapel? It sure looks like I it. I doubt it. I feel like they wouldn't allow that, but I, I could be wrong. I'm not uh, sure. I, I thought it was uh, quite a piece of work. And I'm a fan of A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers and Matthew Reese as a, a journalist, again, who uh, comes to sort of poke fun at him and becomes a, a lifelong friend. I liked that, too. Uh, I have cautioned people that going into it, you might think it's a biopic that's just yeah, about Fred yeah. Rogers. And in many ways, it is about his life. But it's really looking at who he was through the lens of the Esquire reporter who Matthew Reese plays and the impact that Fred Rogers has on his life. Having, you know, this reporter comes out, as you said, from a cynical point of view, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily understand why he needs to write a profile of this guy and changes his mind about that quite a bit. It gives you a little more insight into Mr. Rogers, particularly toward the end. You see a more human side of him, particularly the uh, the credits where he's sitting at a piano in the studio and we kind of get a little glimpse of his interior. I thought I I really appreciated that. Yeah, and I think uh, there's a moment in the movie where his his wife makes the point that, you know, he's not just a saint. He has to work yeah. at uh, exhibiting the kind of kindness and treating people with the kind of respect and compassion that he does. Uh, because I think sometimes we deify people, and Fred Rogers probably right. has been one of yeah. those people, but he's making a conscious choice to be patient and be loving. Uh, it's not like he's just born doing that. I went to the doctor the other day. I've got my little uh, my little chest cold going on, so I'm nice and resonant today. And the receptionist, a bright young thing, said, Oh, I saw a marriage story. Oh, it was so good. What did you think of marriage story? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was terrific. What did you love about it? It sounds like you did not. <laughs> so why don't we start there? <laughs> well, I'm prejudiced because I went through a divorce. And I didn't care for the characters. And I get that she sublimated her career for him and that he didn't see it. And his not seeing it is what broke them apart. And the uh, the use of the lawyers certainly is truthful. 
but I just didn't like the characters and uh, and I found it painful to watch. And maybe that's because of my own experience. Mm. There's been a lot of conversation on social media about, of course, trying to say, well, who was right in this situation? Were we supposed to be empathetic with Scarlett Johansson's character or with Adam Driver's character? And to me, it was just about how people can just miss each other in the middle uh, in a marriage. Mm-hmm. And, and neither one of them is right or wrong. They both are right and wrong about different things. And I just thought Adam Driver is just... I wouldn't so be surprised good. if he wins the Best Actor Oscar. I mean, I think he's going to have some tough competition, but in my mind, he's he's in the top three male performances. You know, year. I didn't see Joker when it came out, and I just caught up on it, and I just loathed it. And yeah. I hate that performance by Joaquin Oh, you Phoenix. hate his performance. I, yeah, I mean, you know, it's great and all, but I hate the material. Mm-hmm. So how can you uh, uh, welcome a performance, a great performance of material you hate? <laughs> And it's a showy performance. Yeah. And and this performance from Adam Driver is not. And I won't spoil anything, but there's a scene, especially at the end of the film, uh-huh. that yeah. just, yeah. you just, it just, you break down crying. I am fond of a movie called Queen and Slim. Have you seen that yet? I have not yet. I've been wanting to, and I haven't had a chance. I've been hearing about it from other people, and I finally watched it. It's uh, David Kalua, the kid from Get Out. And Jodie Turner-Smith, a new actress, and they are on a blind date, and the date is going nowhere, and he offers her a ride home, and on the way home, they are stopped by a bullying white policeman, and the the stop escalates to a fistfight and a tussle, and a gun is drawn, and the policeman is shot, and now the two of them don't know what to do, and because they are black, they... Uh, in this situation where a white policeman dies, they go on the run. So suddenly it turns into Bonnie and Clyde, except it's Bonnie and Clyde in 2020, and it's it. They are the performances are riveting. She is a lawyer, by the way, and he is a guy who works at Costco. Mm. And the two of them on this this run decide that they're all each other have. And and their 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 plan is to uh, get to Cuba, mm. so they start racing down the East Coast, and it's a thrilling movie. It is the kind of movie that makes you that reminds you how thrilling movies can be. That's one heck of a recommendation. This is this is the movie I would recommend to you on the on the strength of my recommending you see Booksmart. Okay, all right. And that was an excellent recommendation. <laughs> so, there you go. So, uh I don't know, we've gone through a lot of movies. Irishman. What about The Irishman? Hmm. Not so hot on it. I mean, I I think it's a obviously a very well-made uh-huh, movie. Uh-huh. And it's just very long. It does not need to be three and a half hours. I think they could have maybe taken one or two of the conversations that De Niro and Pacino have that are like the same over and over again (laughs) and maybe gotten rid of one of them. I guess my thing about that movie is that it it hasn't stuck with me in the same way that some other movies have in an emotional Mm. way. And controversial opinion, I guess. I still think the best mafia movie is Goodfellas. It's better than The Godfather Part 1 and 2, and it's better than The Irishman. So that's all I got for you. That was Jen Chaney who said that. (laughs) And her dresses. It wasn't Lou and it wasn't me. Uh, A friend of ours uh, told Gina, my wife, that she had seen it and loved it. And so we sat down and I watched it a second time, expecting Gina to get up and leave the room, because she does that in a lot of movies, which which is the closest thing we come to having an argument these days. 
And she sat there riveted the entire time. Mm. And the end of The Irishman, where we see Robert De Niro kind of as an old man dealing with the effect of the choices he made in life, uh, hit me even more profoundly uh, than it did the first time I saw it. Oh, that's interesting. I was yeah. having a conversation with a friend of mine about this just the other day. And his point was, if you don't understand the context of Scorsese and, and, and the importance of De Niro and Pacino mm-hmm. and Joe Pesci mm-hmm. yeah. in these films, which, you know, most of us coming to right. this do. But yeah. if you don't, it's, it doesn't have anywhere near the impact that it, it does if you do understand that. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about what you guys thought of the effects Almost like oh, the, a backwards yeah. CG CGI effect, or what? what making them young and making, making them it, old. Yeah, and, I know it was really. Uh, I don't know. I didn't think it came off that great technically. It wasn't great, but it, I, I've seen it done worse. It didn't bother me as much as I expected it was yeah. going to. I didn't notice it. I really, didn't, you didn't know, notice it at all. I mean, I noticed that they were in different periods. When when a period changes in a movie, I look at the cars. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how I date a time frame. <laughs> So, okay. That reminds me, we didn't talk about Ford versus Ferrari. I loved it. Is that a guy's movie? or It is, but I loved it also. I thought I, it was terrific. I, I love Christian Bale particularly, and uh, Matt Damon is just terrific. And uh, Tracy Letts plays Henry Ford II. I, I just thought it was a delightful movie. Yes. Gosh, we, did, we just covered a lot of material here. Let's see. Two Popes we liked. Uh, Richard Jewell, we're mixed on. Beautiful Day, both of us liked. Ford versus Ferrari, both of us like a lot. Uh, Queen and Slim, I like and I recommend to you. I will like in the future. Uh, the sure. Irishman, I like and you think is too long. I mean, my opinion is a little more nuanced than that, yeah. but sure, that's a short way to say it. <laughs> I spent my entire career eliminating nuance. <laughs> So I'll try to remember that. Okay, now I'm starting a new feature this week, Lou. Did I tell you about this? I saw it in the email. It's our new feature. Would you Would you like to uh, to announce the new feature? Yes. We're We're revising the format of this program <laughs> because we have uh, this wonderful third guest, Jen Cheney, and uh, and you know we're we're making progress on the podcast. All right, here we go. This week's movie quiz. Oh, it's the movie quiz. It's Ooh. the movie quiz. It's a quiz. It asks the question: yes. Who yes. played Private Ryan in Steven Spielberg's 1998 war epic? Saving Private Ryan. Oh, we're going to give you the answer at the end right. of the podcast. Yes, right? but, but first you should know officially, this is the CATS podcasting system. Well, we are back, and I, I want to shamelessly plug Hound Radio, if you don't mind here, guys. Oh, Hound Radio. Yeah, Hound Radio. Like is the good old days of Wash. Sort of like mm-hmm. that, an adult contemporary format. It's only on the internet, and we've been around a little under two years, and we play a lot of great music. We actually, Arch, this year are playing some Christmas songs. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, this nice Jewish you know, guy pe- decided to add some Christmas songs <laughs> <laughs> by popular demand. Lou Katz, there was a dirty <laughs> little secret about you for years. Whenever Wash would play oh. Christmas Christmas music, oh, you hated it. I had to put on the. <laughs> One year, I went over there and threw the switch. That's right. When we kicked, when we kicked music, in the studio, I thought right. you were going to kill me. <laughs> 
So anyway, we're playing that, and we also have some great promotions. As a matter of fact, we work with the folks over at Allied, and they get us a lot of these screenings. Yeah. We have cats. Right. Cats at C-A-T-S. Cats. It's C-A-T-S, <laughs> not K-A-T-Z. We cats. have cats, and that is coming up Tuesday night over at the uh, Regal Majestic in downtown Silver mm. Spring. Mm. And then on Wednesday night of next week, 1917. Wow. Is another screening. If you'd like to get your free tickets, just go to houndradio.com, and all the information is right there. You're listening to At the Movies with Arch Campbell and Lou Katz and a cast of thousands. Uh, Jen Chaney keeps up with uh, cable and streaming and film uh, the best of anybody I know. And we are in the beginning of awards season. And I'm looking at the tea leaves, Jen, and I am thoroughly confused. Oh, yeah? Yeah. On the movie side? On the movie side, to begin with. We hear these pre-awards and they're leading up to the Oscars. So... Let's talk about the Golden Globes and the SAG uh, nominations and then see what we think. Uh, the best drama for the Golden Globes, the nominations are 1917, Joker, which your I favorite. Li- loathed, <laughs> Marriage Story, your favorite, The Irishman, Gina's favorite, <laughs> and The Two Popes, the pontiff's favorite. <laughs> And then for best comedy, they've got Dolomite is my name, Jojo Rabbit, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Rockin' Man, and Knives Out. Now, I say I'm confused because uh, the New York film critics selected The Irishman as the film of the year. Uh, The D.C. critics and the L.A. critics gave the best film award to Parasite, which I admired, but Mm -hmm. a lot of people are saying, what's Parasite? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? I feel it's absolutely a safe bet if you're trying to predict Best Picture nominees. The Irishman's mm-hmm. going to get a nomination. Right. That's a done deal. Right. Uh, I think 1917 will get a nomination. I think Marriage Story most likely will. I it's- was a fan of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and thought it would be, uh, you know, just a sure bet. I think it will be. I mean, it's, you know, Golden Globes is, is the one sort of big award show that splits up the genres. So it's nominated in... Uh, musical or comedy, right. which feels a little bit strange, but not so, so strange. Uh, but I think that'll get a Best Picture nomination at the Oscars. And, and certainly, I think I expect Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad well, Pitt to be nominated what, for theirs as well. What did SAG do here for Best Dombus? Now, SAG put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Jojo Rabbit, which I'm a big fan yeah, of. Yeah, I liked that movie a lot. Uh, and Bombshell. I don't... Uh, <laughs> Are we, I don't know if we're going to be talking about that one at a later time, but I have many about, thoughts about Bombshell. You're going to come back next week, and we're going to talk about all the Christmas films, and one will be Bombshell. And uh, I'm already getting a sense that uh, Charlize Theron is probably bound for an Oscar nomination for it. And I have a, a lot of mixed feelings about it. About her or the film no, in general? about Bombshell. Not about her. Yeah. I thought she was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she I did a I never thought that I was looking at an actress. I thought it was Megyn Kelly mm-hmm. the whole time. Mm-hmm. I did not feel that way <laughs> about John Lithgow as Roger Ailes. Yeah. Who looked like a troll under the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> Well, that speaking of that, uh, it, it was weird to me to see not only so many nominations for Bombshell, but also mm-hmm. on the TV side at both of these awards, I believe the loudest voice got nominations, yeah, um, yeah, which yeah. I, I watched most of and reviewed. And it was not that great. No, it was not that compelling. No. 
it's it's very puzzling to me to see it get that much attention. I love talking to you because of cable and streaming and uh, the things you have uh, steered me toward. I have thoroughly enjoyed. As I said, I'm I'm on Watchmen right now. What about the uh, cable nominations? Golden Globes like The Crown, mm-hmm. Succession, Killing Eve, Big Little Eyes, and and uh, The Morning Show. Yeah. That uh, was interesting. That's, you know, the big Apple TV Plus show. Are you show. a fan? Here's how I feel about the morning show. I recognize its flaws. If you said, hey, well, guess what? There's more morning show episodes. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, well, bye. And I'd run out of the room to go watch them. Like, Really? Yeah. It's a show that I find incredibly compelling and also flawed in a lot of major ways. And yet, like I said, I just could not stop watching it. I felt that way about The Crown season three. Oh, really? Every episode of The Crown, I learned something that I did not know. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really valuable. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Olivia Coleman as Queen Elizabeth is spot on. She right. she fits right, you know, and they, they switched actresses because she's older now. I she, she slid right into that. I'm totally with them. Well, not only did they switch her, they switched Prince Philip and right. Tobias Menzies yeah. and Margaret, mm-hmm. who's now Helena Bonham Carter. Right. And I can't think of another show where they changed all of the, you know, major leads and it's just seamless in the way that this was because they're also so good so when it comes to best drama uh and and i watched succession because of you Mm. my wife walked out of the room a couple of times (laughs) she got up the episode where he's feeding his uh his uh, nephew's uh sausages she got up and said i'm not watching this and left Well, I apologize to your wife. <laughs> but she came back. She watched the next episode. We watched Succession, and uh, that's awfully strong. People are really uh, liking it. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the Golden Globes is that they are pretty good about kind of looking forward a little bit, especially on the TV mm-hmm. side, I would say, mm-hmm. and trying to kind of gauge, like, what's what's the big thing or, or about to be the big thing. And that could give Succession uh, a little bit of an advantage in that um, category. I just, I'm a big fan of The Crown. So of the the Crown, Succession, Morning Show, Killing Eve, Big Little Lies, what do you like? I would probably give it to Succession. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why Big mm-hmm. Little Lies is nominated, and I say that as somebody who loved the first season. Yeah. Um, the second season started out strong and went rapidly I downhill, and I feel like they like just it. nominated it because Meryl Streep is in it and, and all these other obviously well-known actresses. And the Golden Globe for comedy... Fleabag, Mrs. May, the fabulous Mrs. Maisel, Barry, the politician, and the Kaminsky method. I I don't even know what the politician is. That's a uh, Ryan Murphy series that yeah. for Netflix with um. Is it worth watching? Mm, it shouldn't have yeah. been nominated. Let me put it that way. Yeah, I've seen a couple of Kaminskys as the same thing. Mrs. Maisel, I've never managed to wrap myself around. I don't know why. You've watched it and you just couldn't yeah. get into it. But Barry and Fleabag, and Fleabag, I stayed through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Fleabag is a little hard to get into. And by the time I finished the second season, I thought it was one of the greatest things I've seen in years. The first season, which actually came out back in 2016, I liked it very much. But mm-hmm. it, you're right that it's a little, um, a little more challenging, I would say. Um, but still very much worth watching. And then the second season is... This. A perfect piece of television. It's a yeah. masterpiece. If they don't give it to Fleabag, they look like morons. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. 
Although I am a great fan of Barry. Oh, I am too. I think that's an excellent show. And Anna, I want to mention Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. I watched that this year and was just blown away by it. And I'm going to watch Unbelievable because I know that's on your list of yes. things to see. An excellent, excellent show. And that was nominated too, I believe, in limited series. So so that's kind of our recommendations to... Um, or catch-ups, anyway. A lot of great stuff out there, guys. Now, uh, on this part of the podcast, we uh, do something called shout-outs, and I know you uh, have a personal affinity for the actor who just passed away who performed Big Bird. That's Carol Spinney, yeah. yes. He yeah. um, he was Big Bird. He was also Oscar the Grouch, a, a real pioneer. He mentored pretty much everybody who followed him um, and did the puppeteering on Sesame Street. And it just so happened that he passed away the same day that Sesame Street was receiving the Kennedy Center Honors. Uh, And I was covering it that evening. And um, they had... Big Bird was there, did not walk the red carpet. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But they had Ernie and Bert and Abby Cadabby and Cookie Monster. They all went down the red carpet and... Everyone, as well as everybody who represented Sesame Street, but all of the Muppets had a little yellow um, feather on their lapel. Wow. And um, there's a wonderful documentary about Carol Spinney. There is. um, uh, It's called I Am Big Bird, the Carol Spinney story. It's a lovely, lovely film. But uh, it was just it was really I've covered many red carpets. And when I saw Big Bird come in, I was like, oh, my God, it's Big Bird. And the one next (laughs) to me was like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Okay, well, we salute Big Bird and Carol Spinney. He was an amazing talent, yeah. So, uh, shall we answer uh, this week's trivia question? Who played Private Ryan in Steven Spielberg's 1998 masterpiece, Saving Private Ryan? Do you know the answer? I believe I do. Yeah, yeah. Matt Damon? Yeah, it is Matt. It's Matt Damon. I had to think twice about it. I had to look it up. Did you know that, Lou? No. I For some reason, <laughs> for some reason, I was thinking Tom Hanks. I, I, <laughs> well, he's I, the I person. Think, he's the saver right, yeah. of Private Ryan. Right. But he Looking is in Private for, Ryan. Right. I just, yeah. I, I I thought that was kind of an easy question to the point where I thought I must have been like missing some trick <laughs> well, element. That was the trick. <laughs> so easy. If we do this again next week, and it's not for sure, the question would be, what state is the setting of It's a Wonderful Life? What state? Ooh, that's a good question. Now, that this is a trick question. Oh. What state is... I know the town. Yeah. What state is uh, Bedford Falls in? Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, Jen, you're going to come back next week, and we're going to do our big uh, holiday movie show. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, do you have any final words for us today? My final words are, watch the Watchmen finale. Ah. I'm I'm on my way to my, uh, after this, I'm going to go watch it myself because I have an early copy. Good. Um, And as always, keep Baby Yoda in your hearts where he belongs. Yeah. Wow. You're listening to At The Movies with Arch Campbell and Lou Katz and a cast of thousands. Robert K. Hadley loves movies and movie theaters. He's the author of several books reminding us of the great theaters that once graced Washington, D.C. and the Maryland and Virginia suburbs. This year, Arcadia Publishing printed Movie Theaters of Washington, D.C. It's 125 pages of D.C. movie houses from the first Nickelodeons to our present-day stadium complexes. And let's say hello to Robert Headley. Yeah, Robert. Yay. Robert, thank you. And tell us about your interest in uh, movie theaters of the past and present. 
I always like going to movies. I really enjoyed going to neighborhood movies in the big downtown first-run theaters. I grew up in Baltimore, and uh, in the 1960s, starting in the 50s and then ending in the 1960s, they started tearing down all the the big first-run theaters downtown. And uh, also the neighborhood theaters were closing. So it was a time of great loss for uh, the movie theaters. And do you have a favorite theater from uh, from the golden era that you were able to visit? Well, from the golden era, that would be the, probably the Stanley Theater in Baltimore and the Ambassador Theater in Baltimore, which was my neighborhood theater. Mm. The Stanley was a big one that seated about 4,000 people. It was a palace. When I go to the old Ebbett Grill downtown, I go through a back room, and I have been told... There's an open area there that was the lobby for the Keith's RKO Theater back in the day. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, I, it might be. Keith's was had the entrance. The main entrance was on 15th Street, and uh, it was a huge complex. It had, you know, um, Turkish baths in the basement. <laughs> it had um, uh, lounges. With- I've been to the movies with some people who needed a Turk- Turkish bath. <laughs> <laughs> they built these big complexes that contained all kinds of extra stuff. So um, it's possible that, that, um, that part of the old Keith's was there. Uh, what do you think of stadium seating and these new theaters with uh, recliners in them? Well, they're really nice. They're much nicer. I, I used to go to some movie theaters that had unupholstered wooden <laughs> seats, and these are much nicer than that. I mean, they're... <laughs> They're really nice. I remember the uh, the seventies and eighties in DC when the uh, one theater I recall is the Janus downtown, where there was a um, a pole. There was a big column right in the middle of the auditorium, and you'd have to sit on one side or the other of the column, or you couldn't see the screen. I remember sitting on a side of that pole. Yeah, that was not a good seat. Well, you've uh, you've produced a beautiful uh, book. And it is wonderful to look at those old uh, theaters and uh, and to see the uh, progress of them. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I've been asking you to be our guest critic today, and you have agreed okay. to review uh, very quickly a film you've watched lately. I took my grandson to see the movie Midway. Oh, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, and I liked it. It was a. It kind of harkened back to these uh, big, fancy war movies that were being made a long time ago. Wasn't there a Midway uh, earlier, uh, like in the late fifties, uh, with John Wayne? Yeah, Charlton Heston was in it, I believe. So you recommend uh, Midway to, which is probably streaming now. Yeah, I think it's passing out. I, I get the impression it didn't do that well, and it's being shuttled off to the uh, the smaller auditoriums now. But I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for being our guest critic. There he is, folks, Robert Hadley. Wow. Well, thank you. Delighted. Hey, by the way, Arch, before, oh, yes? before we yes. break this party mm-hmm. up, Allison Alexander. Oh, did she write in this week? Of Alexander. Allison, she's still of Alexandria. In Alexandria. Yeah. Yes. She, she has written in. and I want, <laughs> She writes us a lot, Allison right. Alexander. And, and here's what she says. There's uh, a story behind this, Jen. I'll tell I, you I have off no the doubt. air. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a brain teaser oh, for you, Oh, she's got a brain teaser. Okay, yes. What's the name of Rudolph's... <laughs> 
favorite singer? This is, this, we're getting into the Christmas mood. Who is Rudolph's favorite singer? Yes. That's Slayance. But I mean. Enjoy the veal. We'll see you next week. We will be back next week with more At the Movies with Arch Campbell, yours truly, Lou Katz, and Jen Chaney. And, and to keep us, by the way, in the holiday spirit, here's the skating track. I, lo- I love this song, yeah. this music. From a Charlie Brown Christmas. with Arch Campbell and Lou Katz and a cast of thousands comes to you by way of the Katz Podcasting System. Katz, America's number one name in delicatessens, Broadway musicals, and podcasting.